1: Let's turn our attention to the United States. It's getting dramatic as U.S. President Joe Biden's personal rivalry with Russian President Vladimir Putin intensifies more than ever after a dramatic ending to the president's Europe trip. The U.S. president, that is. And out of the news, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden holds the first face-to-face meeting with Ukrainian ministers since the Russian invasion. And President Biden is also proposing a new billionaire tax aimed at the richest Americans as part of the U.S. 2023 Budget. Let's get the lowdown from Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for The Straits Times. Good morning, Nirmal. Let's start off with this one. Over the weekend, U.S. President Joe Biden delivering a forcefully and highly personal condemnation of Russia's leader, Vladimir Putin, proclaiming that he cannot remain in power. Now, the Biden administration has clarified that they don't have a strategy to you know change regimes how much further though would president biden's use of such uh, let's call it
0: blunt language potentially further escalate tensions good morning Yes, it was not helpful in terms of de-escalation. In fact, the administration has been quite cool-headed in its handling of this so far, resisting the calls for a no-fly zone and so forth. But this would serve to confirm to Vladimir Putin what he himself has been saying, which is that there is a Western agenda to bring him down. A regime change. It rakes up these unpleasant memories of regime change by the United States that invariably go badly. In recent history, we've had Iraq and look at Afghanistan. So, yes, it does further escalate tensions. The real point is whether he meant it. So, as you say, the White House walked it back. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken also walked it back. He said, We do not have a strategy of regime change in Russia or anywhere else. U.S. Ambassador to NATO Juliana Smith. On Sunday, said the president's comment was a principled human reaction after meeting with refugees fleeing Ukraine and hearing their stories. So there is yet another aspect to it, which is that President Biden is somewhat prone to gaffes. You may remember he once said the U.S. is bound to come to Taiwan's defense if it is attacked by China. That had to be walked back as well. Then just the other day, he said if Putin uses a chemical weapon in Ukraine, the U.S. would respond in kind. That also had to be clarified. So this is being seen as possibly yet another gaffe. But on the other hand, he may have been saying what he feels. That is not administration policy. It is quite obvious that whatever the case may be, they would be quite happy if Vladimir Putin were to be ousted. Accordingly, there are many here who say notwithstanding all the backtracking and nuancing, the president meant what he said. Still, regime change means removing a leader by force that is not and is unlikely ever to be U.S. policy in Russia. However, does President Biden want Vladimir Putin out? Does NATO want Vladimir Putin out? Absolutely, they do. Okay, normal. So on, on the same note, right? Uh, President Biden
1: did meet two Ukrainian ministers in Warsaw on Saturday. That's the first face-to-face talks between the U.S. president and top Kiev officials since Russia's invasion began. Uh, could you share with us some of the highlights of the discussion? And, you know, what, what does this mean? Is it a sign perhaps of growing confidence in the war or, or, or anything like that for that matter?
0: Yes, this served as a morale booster for Ukraine. Earlier there was talk of the president actually visiting Ukraine, but that was shelved. So this was the next best thing. And it was significant. It was... Uh, President Biden's first face-to-face meeting with high-level Ukrainian government officials since the invasion. So it was very symbolic. So they talked about military and humanitarian assistance. Ukraine has been saying they need much more weaponry. They would have decided practical issues at this meeting and got a reading from each other on where they are at, which is militarily a bit of a stalemate, but with the Russians still having the upper hand, and where this is going. Now, Dmitro Koleva tweeted pictures of his meetings in Poland and mentioned practical decisions in both political and defense spheres in order to fortify Ukraine's ability to fight back Russian aggression. The symbolism almost as important as the substance in these meetings. Just recently, Normal, the United States said India's position over Ukraine was
1: unsatisfactory, but also unsurprising given its uh, historical relationship with Russia. Uh, Let's talk about what kind of impact this will have on the Quad partnership aimed at pushing back against China. And with India rapidly strengthening its ties with the West in recent years, does this shift their
0: defense dependency on Russia to the U.S.? India is unlikely to shift defence dependency for practical reasons. Around 70% of India's arms come from Russia. To reverse that, to change that around, would take a couple of decades and be at an enormous cost because U.S. weapon systems are actually way more expensive than Russian equipment. As for the Quad, this is unlikely to make a difference. As you cited, the U.S. has said India's position over Ukraine has been unsatisfactory, but also unsurprising given its historical relationship with Russia. And that is a fair statement. It means, yes, we are disappointed, but we understand why you are doing this. The Quad has greater strategic objectives, which all four members share. That is India, Australia, Japan, and the United States. They will not let this get in the way. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. I'm on the line this morning
1: with Nirmal Ghosh, US Chief for the Straits Times. Nirmal, we've been digesting this one. This uh, document that's been released by the White House, seen by several news outlets, stating that US President Joe Biden will propose a minimum tax on billionaires, including wages and unrealized gains in their investment portfolios. All this part of the fiscal 2023 budget, as expected to be unveiled today. Now, what can you tell us about the US tax system and its struggle to tax the rich? I mean, do you expect Congress To move forward on this proposal, when you consider uh, how efforts made to tax billionaires in the
0: past haven't exactly succeeded. The tax would require that American households worth more than $100 pay a rate of at least 20% on their income and also on the rise in value of their other assets like stocks and bonds. In actual fact, the billionaire minimum income tax, which is what it's called, would apply to a tiny, tiny fraction, the top 100th of 1% of households. By the way, according to the data I could find, America has 724 billionaires, but I've seen reports that this would apply to seven, maybe 700. The issue is the federal government does not tax that increase in the value of stockholdings until those assets are sold. So billionaires accumulate gains and then they are able to borrow against them. That is, they don't have to sell them and trigger capital gains tax. They just turn them into more money, in effect. And a lot of that goes virtually untaxed by the federal government. The White House has estimated that 400 billionaire families paid an average federal tax rate of just over 8% of their income between 2010 and 2018, much lower than, the, than what was paid by many millions of ordinary Americans. So President Biden has also promised to tax billionaires, so it is a political imperative for him And the federal government could do with a bit more money. White House officials estimate that the tax would raise roughly $360 billion in new revenue over the next 10 years, if it is enacted. But, and this is to your question, there is going to be a lot of resistance in Congress. All previous efforts to tax billionaires have failed, as you say. This bill has gone through several drafts itself. It is still unclear if Democrat Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema will go along with it. Very few are betting this will go through, though it is so far the closest they are getting to this goal of taxing billionaires yeah watch this space okay finally top u.s
1: trade negotiator katherine tai has recently said that the united states is done sitting on its hands and will more actively pressure china to change trade practices that washington believed distort the market let's talk about these trade practices how credible are these claims of distortion so to speak and what kind of inclusion of sanctions in the playbook for future actions against china could potentially be considered here
0: Yes, there could be more sanctions. A report from the USTR says China doubled down on its harmful trade and economic abuses, and it failed to buy the promised $200 billion worth of additional US goods and services agreed in the phase one deal. And they had the United States goods trade deficit with China hitting 355.3 billion in 2021, which is the largest since 2018. All this was partly about reducing that, and it clearly hasn't done so. So now Washington is considering a new Section 301 investigation into China's industrial subsidies, and that could lead to more tariffs. Intellectual property rights violations could also be targeted, and the issue of use of forced labor in Xinjiang may also be factored into trade policy and attract sanctions. So clearly they are looking at a new raft of measures, and that will also look good politically at home, with the midterms coming up in November, that they are being tough on China. Thank you
1: so much for your time. Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief for the Straits Times. Nirmal, you take care and Stacy.
0: The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.